Welcome to the Andy Social Podcast. My name is Andy Dowling. And before we kick into this week's episode, a big shout out, a big thank you to Aaron Kidston of Batemans Bay. I've seen you supporting the podcast online, interacting with it, leaving comments. You've left a great uh, review on Facebook, on the Facebook uh, podcast page. And I just really appreciate what you do for this podcast. It all helps and it's really, really cool. And I'd like to be able to send you out a Lord patch. If you flick me a message over on the podcast page or wherever uh, works for you, I will organize for that to be sent out in the weeks to come. Um, And hopefully sometime down the track, I'll find some more uh, things to send out. But for the time being, maybe it's a few Lord patches. We'll see how we go. But uh, a massive thank you, Aaron. Really appreciate it. Spread the word down in Batemans Bay. Maybe I can come down there and do some podcast episodes. Who knows? So we'll see what happens. But thank you very much. Now, this week's guest is with Sarah Lim. Sarah is the key guitarist in Electric Dynamite, Melbourne band, um, also the keyboardist in Earth, which is a legendary Australian metal band, um, also plays in The Night Terrors as well, and um, it's just a freaking legend. Uh, we played with Electric Dynamite years and years ago, did an Australian tour with them, um, and been in touch with uh, and been a friend with Sarah ever since, and uh, Sarah's just a really interesting person. Um, we talk a lot about music, we talk about um, her getting into playing at a young age, and just always being in bands since, I think about 14 years old. I don't think she's ever not been in a band from what I recall. Um, and we just spend a lot of time talking about music, talking about just, um, I guess, working with different people and working with a whole range of different bands because she's played with heaps of bands over the years. Um, but then the second half of this chat, we touched on her fascination and her love of mixed martial arts and in particular jujitsu. And um, I tell you what, I'm shit scared of anything that involves contact. So the thought of martial arts just I'll shit my pants. Like I'm just such a wuss. I'm such a wuss when it comes to this stuff. But I think after this conversation with Sarah, I had a new appreciation for it and a lot more respect for it. And, um, a slight fascination in the sense that hmm, maybe maybe this could be something for me. Maybe there's something I could think about down the track. I'm not going to do it just yet because I'm still a wuss. But um, Sarah definitely did put my mind at ease in certain ways and just a really cool chat and a really cool insight into her journey with martial arts and how she got into it and um, where she's at, up to now and what benefits and what she's been able to take away from it. A lot of stuff that maybe many people don't really realize as well. So um, I'll leave that all to Sarah to explain, but a really, really cool chat, an absolute legend. And I'm really, really psyched that um, I finally got Sarah on the podcast, somebody that I've had on my list for a while. And um, it's great to just sit down and have a chat. And I reckon we could have kept chatting for hours. So we might have to catch up sometime in Melbourne and and sink some beers and and really get stuck into some more, uh, maybe some more MMA chat. We'll see how we go. Anyway, please enjoy this episode. All the show notes are over at andysocial.net, so if you want to reach out to Sarah or support any of the bands, Electric Dynamite, Earth, The Night Terrors, you can go over to andysocial.net. I'm going to put all the links in there, um, and please reach out to her and let her know what you thought of the podcast. Um, just really, really stoked that Sarah was able to give me some time. So thank you so much to Sarah. Thank you guys for tuning in and supporting the podcast. Please enjoy this, ugh, please enjoy this episode with Sarah Lim. One thing I was going to say straight off the bat, and you were mentioning it before, it, it was 40 degrees in Melbourne today. Yeah. And then you came home and you got air con and you didn't even have it on. Mm-hmm. No. Why? <laughs> um, I'm not like huge on air con. I know I'm a weirdo, but I don't like to like change my body temperature directly all the time because it makes me feel like shit. So uh, I came in the house and just like left all the blinds closed. I put the ceiling fan on and I've just been like chilling out under there. It's fine. 
Oh, uh, good. So it's not you being a tight ass with like the electricity bill. It's more more your health rather than uh, rather than. Oh people. yeah, nah, nah, nah. If I was freeze, if if I was cold, it would be the opposite. I'd have that thing pumping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I think the last time I saw you might have been almost a year ago in Adelaide. In Adelaide, yeah. Um, and Electric Dynamite playing. Ooh, Churches of Steel or something like that. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. That was a cool show. Yeah, from what I can remember, I sort of breezed in and then um yeah, it was um yeah, it was a big night. <laughs> so, yeah, I was about to say you had a really good time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys play much at all last year apart from that? Cuz I didn't see much of Electric Dynamite. Um, I don't think so. We did that show I'm just trying to think. We might have done, like, maybe two other shows. It was really quiet last year because, um, so for the last couple of years, Dwayne's been going for anywhere up to close to six months to the UK. Mm. Um, Yeah, so usually at least three to four months. But um, And then, so last year he did that again, but also Lockie went to Canada for six months. Yeah. And it was kind of in. I think at the beginning it was a little bit indefinite. He wasn't quite sure if he was um, going to be there for six months or up to the full two years or what he was doing. So, yeah, we just sort of rolled with it and just sort of see what happened. But we did like a farewell show for Lockie, like just a, hey, you know, have a good trip kind of thing and um, sort of saw him and Dwayne off. And then, yeah, that was it. We haven't really picked up too much from there yet. So is how long's Lockie been overseas now? Has it been close to six months? It feels like it's been longer. Oh yeah, yeah. No, he's back now. Ah. Yeah. So he got back in. Must have been October, I think. <laughs> <What's> um, <that? laughs> I'm yeah. So, so he. I'm so up to date with what what people are doing. I just assumed he was still over there. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no. And I mean, like, he's not a big avid user of social media or anything, so you probably wouldn't really see him in face- on Facebook and stuff doing stuff. So it's, it's you know, it's fair that you assumed that. Um, but, yeah, no, he got back then, and I was in Japan at the time, and then I got back, and I think Spain was back by then. And, yeah, the most recent thing that we've kind of done together is we just played at Dwayne's Wedding. Oh, right. Well, I didn't even realise he was getting married until I sent him a message on the day he was getting married. I was asking him a question and then he didn't respond. And then I just saw online that everyone was tagging in these photos. I thought, oh, shit, he's actually getting married today. So I sent him another message saying, don't, <laughs> wor- don't worry about that message. Just that's fine. All good. <laughs> he came back to me a couple of days later. <laughs> I figured you got something else more that's important. That's so on. funny. <laughs> so, um, and you guys played it. Yeah, so um, as you may have gathered from the photos, it was quite an epic party. Yeah. Um, They had like a sick – it was one of those things where like when Dwayne sort of told us like months beforehand, like this is what um, I'm going to do for my wedding, like you can imagine what it is, but you still don't really know what you're expecting until you get to it. Um, Because, you know, a lot of people have themed weddings, but how far they take it um, can vary depending who it is. Um, But, yeah given that um, him and his now wife, like, you know, they both work in the festival circuit and do a lot of that sort of stuff. And, you know, they love to party and have a great time and have all their mates around and music and everything. To them, it just made sense. Like, we're just going to have a festival um, wedding because that's what we spend our lives doing and, you know, it's what their sort of passion is music and all that sort of jazz. So, um, 
yeah, they had a ceremony on the main stage and then they had bands and we were one of them. It was real fun and um, it was really cool because um, obviously a lot of past Electric Dynamite members were there. Um, a couple of them got up on stage, like Ryan got up and sang Electrify the Night with us and Benny played drums for the song as well. And then um, Dan actually got up as well and sung Steal a Fortune. And uh, at the end, every other member that was there as well all got up on the stage and we had a big group photo. So that was pretty cool. That's awesome. That's <laughs> and so then, cool. um, yeah, it was so cool. And then it was at this beautiful farm out sort of like, I think it's the Gippsland area. I'm not sure. It's sort of down near, I can't actually think of the place that it's near. Good, good stuff. Somewhere, but anyway, somewhere regional. It, <laughs> it's somewhere regional and it's where they have that, um, there's this festival in Victoria on, on New Year's called, um, I think it's called On the Hill or New Year's On the Hill or something like that. Okay. And it's just really cool. It's got this sort of hill, obviously. And uh, when you're on that hill and you're looking out, like it looks over into these beautiful like rolling hills and you can see the ocean and the horizon and there's just the most beautiful sunset. So that, that's where sort of everyone can go to this this bar called the End of the World Bar, which is like this little shack and um, you can sort of just hang around there and watch the sunset and have a good time. But yeah, they had it at this beautiful on this beautiful site and then they had bands and DJs going on into the night and yeah, it was just, it was epic, but it was amazing. It could not have been more perfectly them. So it was, it was a beautiful day. That's, oh man. Like, I mean, you, I would, I, I would be surprised if he had just a standard traditional wedding. Like I would, I'd be so surprised. It's just, <laughs> it's just not him. And given, as you said before, like he works in like, event management and putting on all these big things and he's always been sort of immersed in that sort of that sort of those circles and whatnot so yeah so it makes sense that he's done something like this but I didn't even realize it was to that extent did you guys I mean you probably didn't do it because it's still a wedding but did you guys film this stuff like as far as like you know at least electric dynamite getting on stage and playing yeah so I guess dynamite's been in um not a weird state, but it's just like having, uh, as you would know, because like we toured with you at one stage and, you know, we used to be like playing all the time, like everywhere and interstate and always present in everything. Um, and then probably over the last few years, we've sort of gone on and off the radar. Um, and that's kind of been a little bit of a combination of things, whether it be people being overseas um, at all different times and then sometimes there being a little bit of a disconnect between members, you know, as you know, sometimes, mm. especially when bands have been around for a long time, that can be a bit of a roller coaster, and it's not always, um, you know, super bad and like fighting and everyone hates each other. It's not to that extent, but maybe like a bit of a passion or a connection just gone and you lose a bit of motivation and things like that. So there's been a little bit of that as well. And obviously changing members and all that kind of jazz. So, um, I think because last year especially was even harder because in the previous year that was only Dwayne that was away. So we still managed to play some shows whilst he was away and we just got fill-in bass players. But it just seemed a bit silly given that we don't play that much to play shows where we have two fill-ins because then people would be confused like, who are these people? Has the lineup changed again? <laughs> All that yeah. sort of thing. So we kind of just thought it was best to for the last year whilst they were both away to sort of just park it for a bit and just sort of like if anything rad came up 
that we got offered, we obviously would have considered it and, you know, made a judgment call at the time because if it was worth our while doing, we probably would have done it and got the fill-ins. But we weren't just going to do shows just for the sake of doing shows um, without them. So, um, yeah, so I think this year it's just about sort of revisiting it and sort of seeing where everyone's at and, um, you know, it's... It's, uh, as you would know, we're all at a different time in our life, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Everyone's getting a bit older and priorities aren't necessarily changing, but people have different responsibilities now and they're not responsibilities like that you can just be like, oh, yeah, it's fine. I'll just put that to the side for now. It's, um, you know, you've got to do some, a bit more adulting, I guess. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, uh, I think. We just sort of need to work out what everyone wants to do and what everyone's capacity to do things is and maybe just um, make some realistic goals about what we want to do because obviously we're not going to just go and try and tour Europe next year or something. Like it'll be, I think our first and foremost goal would be to finish the album that we've wanted to do for so long, mm. um, especially now that, you know, Luke's been in the band well, for a while now. He's been in there since Sebastian Bach and that was maybe a couple of years ago now. Yeah, it feels like it at least, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, yeah, it's just been um, difficult to get the ball rolling, that's all. But um, I think, you know, every time we do stuff together, it reignites the passion. It's just the practicality of getting everyone together um, to do it. So, yeah, hopefully we can get that smashed out this year. Yeah, I mean, I totally relate to what you're saying. I mean, we've we've been through it numerous times, usually usually a couple of times a year, there's sort of these dramas pop up where... <laughs> You've got to try and reconnect people again to get people back on track because we get, and and you said it as well. You, it's not that priorities change as much, but I think you just got so many other things that are going on that are fighting for your attention, and you get so immersed in other stuff, and then you just lose track of time. You lose track of where you are and perspective. Whereas, you know, probably you know, at least for me in my early twenties, you know, ten odd years ago, that um, yeah, that you would just have one focus. It was just it was that. And it was going out and having a good time, and that was about it. That was as far as your responsibilities or interests were concerned. And and then, as I guess, as time moves on, you start to, you know, fall into other things and 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 other interests and whatnot. You got to try and, you know, spread out your time and and your bandwidth, and um, it can be really difficult. And before you know it, the rest of the guys are sort of going, uh, "Are you here? Like, you, do you still want yeah. to be here?" And it's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, no we're, we're all good, we're all good." And then you got to try, as you said just to try and work out the logistics of getting together and then trying to trying to get things moving again. But, um, yeah, I, I hear you. It's, it's, it's really difficult. Yeah, it is. And, I mean, it's one of those things where for all of us, I don't think any of us have never not believed in what we were doing. Like, we've always been, you know, that band that are very serious about what we're doing but never taken ourselves too seriously, if yeah. that makes sense. Yep. But we've always, you know... I mean, Dynamite's been in existence for so long now, but even as far back as I can remember, we always were driven and there were things that we wanted to do and we were just working towards those things. Um, and we never thought that we couldn't do those things. It was always like it was just when we could get there, not if we could get there. It's just, yeah, 
uh, like you said, sometimes it just feels like there's not enough hours in a day, days in a week, and next thing you know, it's six months later, and you were just talking about yesterday how we should just get onto this, but then six months has just flown past, and you're like, what the hell's happened? It's happened yeah. again. It's happened again. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And but, yeah. At, so, least with the, at least with the album, though, like having the unfinished album, it probably helped you guys just to keep it together at a very basic level to know that, there was just something that was unfinished. So even, as you said, like, you can't get to it right away, but you knew that it was eventually going to happen. So it wasn't even a thought, I'm just taking a guess here, but it wasn't a thought that you kind of sit there and go, you know what, should we just throw the whole thing in? It was just a case of, well, we just don't know when it's going to happen, but it will eventually happen. Yeah, and I mean, I still believe that that's, that's how it is. Um, you know, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I, that's how I've always seen it and, you know, I've always said, if as long as everyone else is keen, I'll always be keen. I'm never going to be the one that's, like, starting the conversation of throwing the towel in, um, you know, in it for life kind of deal. Uh, unless, you know, some really drastic thing was to happen. Like, I don't know, they cut off my head or something. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's where I see it to be at. It's just a matter of when, not so much if. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I saw today, um, are you still playing in Earth? Yep. I, I saw today that <laughs> you, you see out very, very far in advance looking. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, you're playing Steel Assassins in Sydney uh, in November of this year. So I saw that. Yeah. That, that was pretty cool. Um, I was going to ask, and this, this is actually quite good that it happened today because I saw the photo that uh, Dave put up and I was going to ask you when the hell was that photo taken because that looks like it's from a little while ago. I actually haven't seen the photo. Oh, let me you? look at no. What? Let me look at the photo. I've got a computer right next to me. Right. What page is it on? We can we can uh, we can multitask. Uh, if you go on the Steel Assassins page, oh, it's on the Steel Assassins. Yeah, um, yeah of course, yeah, it would be on their Facebook page. Yeah, and um, um, it's yeah. like a black and white. I think it's black and white photo of um, of you all, but it looks like it's from a few years ago. I could probably tell you. Do I still have a fringe? You do have a fringe, actually. No, it's 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 a color photo. Yeah, you're. Yeah, yeah. You're looking very young. Very. Oh, very young. Sorry, yeah. I thought you said very um, and I was like, what? <laughs> very what? <laughs> I was leaving you hanging. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what is he going to say? Steel <laughs> assassins. It's a good thing I'm a multitasker. Sometimes steel assassins, right, 2017. Uh, here we go. Um. Yeah. Oh, look, I see. Yes. Okay, so this photo. Oh, yeah. So this photo was taken probably about 2009. Oh, okay. Well, that's almost coming up to 10 years now. How scary is that? Oh, it's so scary. That would have been around when we did our last album. Okay. Yeah, and we... um. I was very hungover in that <laughs> <laughs> I can remember the day I... I'd pulled an all-nighter, it was crazy, and I think my housemate at the time had to drive me and drop me out the thing, so I was in no state to do anything, but yeah, good times. Oh, well, at least, <laughs> at least you fit in with the rest of the guys there, because everyone's sort of just looking, you know, reasonably sort of, uh, you know, melancholy and just, uh, you know, pretty straight. Staunch. Yeah, yeah, that's a good word, yeah. <laughs> so you, you fit in well. It, it'd be worse if you were there and you are all cheery and, and had a big smile on your face and everyone else was like that. So, you, yeah, you blend in. Yeah, we've had some pretty funny photo 
um, shoots Earth because we all love heavy metal and just all things that are historically cheesy in metal. We kind of have brought them into some of our old photo shoots and yeah, it's always a funny time. I don't know if anyone really takes us that seriously, which is fine. Doesn't bother us. But <laughs> well, it's one of those bands that's just been around for so long and just pops up every once in a while and just, it's like, oh yeah, like Earth, of course. And then, and then disappears for a while and then pops up back up again. And I assume it's just one of those things where it's probably a little, little bit more of an extreme version of Electric Dynamite in the sense that it's just when everyone's got time and there's an opportunity and it makes sense that, um, that everyone yeah. gets together. Yeah, that's exactly it because um, me and Jeremy are the youngest members of Earth, so the other guys are all like in their 40s. Mm. Um, maybe one of them's late 30s, but they've all got kids and, you know, other things to do. And we all live all over Victoria, so none of us live within an hour's drive of each other. So, you know, a weekly regular jam is just not going to happen. Um, but we all love playing together. So it's, again, it's one of those things that we're never going to stop doing it because we love playing shows and we love playing death metal. So it's like we'll never stop doing it. And I think fortunately for us, Earth did so many years of, you know, I guess earning their keep that we are that kind of band where, you know, we've got literally zero social media presence. It kind of wows me at times that we get asked to do things because people will still approach us for gigs, um, even though we don't do anything online. Um, and, yeah, we, we, we're just lucky, I guess, and we're really appreciative that people once or twice a year um, will come to us and be like, you guys want to play this? And we'll be like, hell yeah. And then we always get together and we have a great time jamming. And it's real fun and it's a great catch-up experience for us all because it's really hard for us to all get in the room together. And then we bash out a show and have an amazing time. And then we hang up our hats until the next one. <laughs> well, I think it's so cool because the band's been around since what, probably the late 90s or something like that. So it's... it's yeah, it remember. was... Yeah, I think it was... Mm, I feel like it was our 25th anniversary maybe last year or something. Oh, right. Okay. And we were going to do a big show, but we just didn't. <laughs> Fair enough. But it's it's like I guess you know back in the day, it, you know the band obviously played a hell of a lot more and paid its dues and whatnot and build that fan base, and yeah, and so it's just got that reputation now that you know you can you can afford to just play once in a blue moon and then people appreciate it as well because you you don't play regularly anymore, and um and then obviously there's a demand and people are excited about it so that's why you get these offers every once in a while I reckon it's awesome it's makes life a lot yeah. easier than trying to hustle all the time. It does. And I mean, we're just so appreciative, like, cause we just, yeah, we just love it. It's just fun. So it's just fun to us. But, um, that said, Rob wants to do another album. So oh. we're just, we've been talking about it, um, for about 12 months and just talking about what sort of direction we want to do it and how we are practically going to do it. Um, but he's really keen to get the ball rolling on it. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited. I think he wants to, uh, not write, you know, the same album again. So, you know, who knows what the next Earth album may bring to very long-term Earth fans. They may be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I guess it's probably something that's going to take a little bit of time anyway to to even see the light of day. If it's something that's been speak, spoken about for probably the last 12 months or so, it's probably just given everyone's location and other commitments and whatnot, it'll probably be something that will be a little while off yet. 
Yeah, well, I think uh, the general consensus is what we would try and do is even if it's just like we can get maybe Jeremy who lives um, sort of, you know, within the suburbs of Melbourne and myself out to Rob's house and maybe even if just the three of us could start jamming some ideas and record them while we're doing it and then we can use the wonders of technology and send them to the other guys and then they can record their own ideas on top of it or like give their feedback and things like that. So we're thinking maybe that's a good way to do it. And then once we've got a good basis of some stuff already written, then we can sort of work out, you know, even if it's only every couple of months or every second month or something, or even for a little while, once a month, just getting together and just getting it done. That would be probably cool. I think it's definitely a way to probably speed it up a little bit. If you're if you're relying on everyone to be in the same spot all the time, then it'll probably never happen. Yeah, and also it doesn't always work because sometimes, uh, as you may, it's, you know, every band dynamic is different. But sometimes nothing gets done like that because some people aren't completely comfortable writing in that kind of a situation, and or then sometimes too many people are comfortable in that kind of situation and then you've got one of those situations where there's too many cooks in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting because I think how it's being written would be completely different from how it's ever been done in the past because, um, you know, I think Earth's always been one of those bands where there's predominantly one to two writers and then everyone else just plays it mm. or, like, you know, put some polishing touches and their own influences on what's already been written, but it's not been so much of a group effort. But I think Rob's really keen to sort of get everyone's sort of input and like everyone writing it to some extent. Obviously you can't always have everyone writing full songs and everything, but yeah, it'll be cool because he just wants to sort of change the flavor up a bit. So it'll be cool. And and Rob does like, as far as songwriting in the past, he's, more of like the person that sort of does it predominantly in well anyway historically has written most of the music and arranging it so even with you know the idea that you all have now where you all add your pieces in and start building things together he would probably ultimately be piecing it together to construct it into what it finally would be yeah rob's always been like the core of earth mm. um and also john yeah um yeah so john um i think John will always write like some full songs and then, you know, some of them will make it onto the album and then also sometimes he'll just write some riffs for some of Rob's songs and stuff like that. But yeah, that's generally how it's typically worked in the past. Yeah, cool. And how long have you played in Earth for? Um, for I don't know, maybe like 14 years or something. That's not bad. <laughs> so, yeah, just, just a little while. Um, I would think I was about 19 when I joined the band. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and I'm turning 32 this year. So, yeah, not yeah. 14 years, but, yeah, coming on to it. Yeah, no, that's crazy. And was, I mean, okay, so 19 years old, I'm, I'm going back a little bit now. Is Earth, like, the first main band that you joined? Or were you playing in other bands leading up to that? Yeah, so I started playing in bands when I was 14. Um, I just had this really random life of just, I don't know if it's been being in the right place at the right time, knowing the right people, or just sort of sliding into these situations. But yeah, the first band I ever joined was this band called Prefect. And um, uh, where we grew up, there's, 
you may have heard of EVs in Croydon. They used to be yep. like a big metal festival, metal fest or chaos in Croydon once a year. Don't think that exists anymore. Hasn't for ages, but um, it's just where we used to always hang out and they used to have a, like a youth drop-in after school and all that sort of stuff. So I used to start hanging out there because, you know, I really loved music and live music especially and I liked heavy music and that's where all the sort of social misfits and weirdos all hung out so I would gravitate towards that place and so I started seeing a lot of the local bands and this particular band was maybe a couple of years above me at school not at my school but just in terms of age and um, I started going to their gigs because I kind of liked what they were doing and um, and became friends with them and I just wanted to know what one of their songs was and I had a keyboard at home that I'd gotten for a birthday or Christmas one year and I never really played it. Like I think I had like two lessons at school once and that was it. And, you know, I'd play on it when I was bored, but that was about as far as it went. But I sort of just played the song on the keyboard and recorded it with a voice recorder on a really old computer and sort of sent it to him which now that I'm thinking about must have taken forever at the time because it was through ICQ that I sent it to him <laughs> and so it must have taken him like three days to get the file or something um and I just sent it to him saying you know uh, I just want to know what this song is because they had some mp3s available to download through like Napster or something I don't know uh probably like MIRC or something back in those days yeah. and um I sent it to him and he was just like oh we were thinking about getting a keyboard player. You should join the band. And I was like, I don't play keyboard, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's kind of how it all started. And then within maybe within the first year, I was in three bands. And I, don't, I can't think of a time where I've ever been in only one band since then. Wow. And so, so, it's, so it's just always been a case of like from 14 that you, it's just been nonstop. Yeah, I've never not been in a band and I've never been in less than one, like I've never been in less than two bands at a time. <laughs> so even now I'm in three bands. Oh, that's right. Because <laughs> you're in, uh, is it the Night Terrors? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. So, I, yeah, I don't know where you find the time. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's all swings and roundabouts. It all comes in and goes out and it just kind of works. And I guess because... Uh, in the early days when I was doing more than one band, it was all really full on. And like, I can tell you of days where I had been double booked with gigs and I had to get from one place to another to make sets on time from one place to another in completely opposite ends of Melbourne and all sorts of things. But got it happening, made it work, it was fine. Um, but yeah, it's just been a weird weird musical journey. Like all the, all the bands have been very different. I think it's been one of those things where... I guess in the heavy, I'll just say heavy music in general of all different genres mm. seen in Melbourne, there's not ever been an abundance of keyboard players. Yeah. So um, there's always a gig if you want one. Um, so yeah, I've just been lucky. And I mean, something like Earth, like Earth was a band that I was a fan of since I was like a really young teenager. And it just so happens that through, um, for a little while, I was in a band called Here I Die. Um, and one of the guys in that band used to do some sound for Earth, and he sort of mentioned that maybe they need a keyboard player and kind of worded up um, Rob that, you know, he knows someone that could do it, and then Earth kind of disbanded for a little bit, and then when they got back together, Rob hit me up and was like, oh, do you want to go for that audition? And I was like, 
yes, I do. So <laughs> I got it. And I literally, I remember the day I was at his house and I was just playing along to the stereo and just auditioning like to him. And um, I played the song and he just kind of stood at the end of the keyboard and just watched me play it. And then he's like, cool. So you want the gig? And I was like, yeah. And I like ran down the hallway and was just like, having a silent little party to myself, like, oh, my God, like, totally fangirling out because I, they were one of my favourite Australian bands. I could not believe that I was so lucky to get in. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And then, whatever, 12, 13, 14 years later, here you are now still playing with them. Yeah. That's crazy. So cool. Same with the Night Terrors. Night Terrors, I was a fan of that band, and I was at a party drinking wine, standing around a bonfire, and the – Miles Brown, um, the theremin player of the Night Terrors, he was just like, he'd previously asked me, contacted me maybe a year before that, asking if I'd do a guest spot um, at one of their gigs with my guitar. And I said, yeah, sure, whenever you want, just let me know because I'm down. And then he just sort of hit me up and was like, so I was thinking you should play keyboards in the Night Terrors. I was like, yes, I should. I'll be there. (laughs) Tell me where. (laughs) That's awesome. So. I mean, you mentioned before, I was going to ask you about it, like, you know, there's keyboard players in Melbourne, there's not that many in the sense that there's always something going. Was it, Do you think that's probably the main reason why you got these opportunities or was there something else? Was it just the fact that you were sort of hanging around in those similar circles or you're just a good person, you know, like, I'm just trying to think, like, because other people out there are always whinging about not being able to find opportunities, but sometimes I just think that they're sitting at home not actually doing anything themselves. Like, what what, what were some of the reasons you reckon that these guys approached you? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I I don't know. I think a lot of it is I've always been surrounded by musicians. I've never, because... You know, since I can remember, all I ever wanted to do was play music and I always dreamed of, you know, going and playing Barkin and touring Europe and doing all these things and whatever. So that was always my goal from a really young age. And so I guess just because of that passion to music, I was just always drawn to people that were playing music because that was just a common interest. And then I don't know how I got so lucky, but I've always been surrounded by the most, like, some amazingly talented people and um, I don't know, I've just been friends with them and I, I, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if I'm being modest, but I like I don't consider myself to be some kind of genius keyboard player. I definitely am not. I'm happy to openly say that. <laughs> but um, but um, I don't know, I guess I've just given whatever my set of skills is it's what they needed and wanted. So I've just fit the resume they were looking for, I guess. Yeah, I think, I mean, just from the outside looking in, I think probably the big thing is that, and you said it before, is just the you're always in those circles. You you put yourself in those situations where you had the interest. You always wanted to do, like, play music. So you were just hanging around musicians. You were going to gigs and you were mingling and whatnot. So, you know, it was bound to happen just from you know, people being familiar with you and seeing you around and obviously playing in bands and and eventually it all sort of lines up and I, th- I think that's probably the difference between you and probably somebody else that is looking for opportunities but probably isn't actually getting out there and surrounding themselves with, with other people trying to do the same thing. Yeah, I think you've just got to put yourself out there and, and be available um, and you might be available but if people don't know you're available or keen then you're not going to get any offers to do things. Um, 
but yeah, I think I've always sort of believed that you can learn so much from everyone. So uh, it doesn't matter that, like, I literally don't think any of my friends over the years have done more than dabble to the keyboard, but they've been amazing musicians in all different ways, whether they be like, but, you know, crazy shredding guitar players, amazing drummers, singers, whatever. And I think there's always something that you can take from someone, whether it be on a musical or personal level. So, um, you know, I'm always keen to learn in any way and grow as a person. So that's also, I think, what's always been appealing to me about playing in multiple bands because it's great to work with different people because everyone's got different dynamics, different levels of skill, different you know, views on and the way they look at the world is completely different. And it's, it's good to just always be surrounded by diversity in everything, I think. Well, you'd be constantly on your toes all the time with, you know, the different styles of music at the very least and then having to manage different personalities and gelling with people. You know, chemistry is so important in a band. And then if you're playing in multiple bands, every scenario and setting is different because you've just got different personalities that you've got to deal with. So there's probably multiple dramas that you might have to deal with on a personal level at any one time. On top of that, adjusting your playing style for, for each band as well. It's just, I mean, you yeah, you're constantly on your toes. Yeah, but... <laughs> I don't know. I guess I've never really noticed it. I just kind just of do. But, but yeah, um, I, I think I've also been real blessed because in all the years and bands that I've played in, like for the most part, because, you know, you know, I've seen friends bands have turmoil and all kinds of arguments, like for more of the time than, you know, than less of the time. So it seems to be happening more of the time. But um, I've just been pretty lucky. Like, obviously, I've, it's not been free of turmoils or problems um, or difficult or challenging situations or personalities. Uh, that's always going to happen. But I think for the most part, um, I've been pretty lucky. And I don't know if, again, it comes back to the kinds of people that I surround myself with. I think even from quite a young age, I can remember being quite aware of the kinds of people I've always surrounded myself with. And I, I've when I was younger, I would say I was quite a bit more feisty. These days I'm a real, really chilled person, but I think when I was younger, I was a bit more feisty and a no-bullshit kind of person, and that really set the tone of I don't have time for people who are time wasters or don't bring anything positive to my life, which is kind of sounds really selfish, but it's more that I have so much love and care to give to friends and like I'll like go out of my way and do whatever for the people that I love or like you know I'm 100% keen and in on anything that I'm committed to like bands and all that sort of stuff but if you're going to waste my time I don't I don't I'm not going to waste my time doing that for you so yeah I I don't know if that's I think it's the opposite of being selfish really I mean you're being selfless in the sense that you're you're making sure that you're not trying to spread yourself too thin by trying to make everybody happy and most the people that do that are usually the ones that are just fighting for people's, you know, attention or acknowledgement and, and wanting, worried about what other people think of them rather than you thinking about other people. So I think it's the opposite of being selfish. I mean, you're, you're being very intentional about the people that you spend your time with. And I think that's, I mean, a lot of people can't do that. So yeah, props to you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I just think it's, it's, it's always important. It's always been important to me that like I just I, I've always think that 
your own happiness is a product of what you surround yourself in and the environment that you live within. And ultimately, I've always, I think it took me some time to learn, but, you know, eventually I realized that it's also the person driving all this and the person who's in control of one's own happiness is yourself. So if there's something in your life that's making you upset, you, you have to change it, not wait for someone else to change it. So, yeah, I've kind of just in the past sort of just cut things off and I'm very much like that now. If it's someone that I feel is just not bringing anything to the table in terms of, you know, makes me feel upset or doesn't treat me with respect or, um, you know, in a personal situation or in a professional situation, I just cut it off because it's like, well, you know, that's fine. I don't need that. It's good. Well, I get, hate drama. Oh, hate drama. Drama is the worst. <laughs> Me too. And I mean, you've only look in the grand scheme of things, you've only got a limited time uh, in existence. So you may as well make the most of of uh, the time that you do have in in cultivating, you know, you know, good relationships with with different people. So you know, don't want to sit there and and look back and go, oh god, I just wasted several years of my life just trying to manage someone who's just you know, naturally difficult and doesn't gel and has other agendas to, to me. And, 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 you know, so I think that's um, having the self-awareness to be able to understand that because ma- many people go through life and just never, never realize that they're just constantly trying to please other people until the day they die and are a miserable sack yeah. of shit. So I think if, I mean, a lot of people go through it. I mean, I've been through it over the last few years trying to go through that same sort of, I guess, progression where you, you're trying to, separate yourself from what matters and, and what doesn't matter and, and, and working out where you The less polite way is saying the culling. The culling, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely, that's it. Um, so in It's funny, though, that you say that yeah. because I, um, I kind of look at that saying in reverse. I've always looked at it like, you know, Obviously, touch wood, nothing bad happens to me or any of the loved people, like the loved ones in my life. But hopefully, in the grand scheme of things, we're here for a really long time. So do good with that time. No, don't waste it on shit. But it, it's all the same in the end. But I, yeah, I look at it that way instead. <laughs> well, yeah, that's it. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities and there's, there's so much to do in, in life. And I mean, you could look at it in, in the sense that oh, you know, I haven't got enough time in the day, so I've got to make sure that what I do allocate in that day is is the most important and I'm going to get the most out of it. And then you could sort of, you know, scale it out to, to your entire life. But um, there's just so much out there and, and there is a lot of time, but you want to make sure that you fill it with as, as much positivity as you can. Yeah, for sure. Your bands that you played in, the countless number of million bands that you played since played in since you were 14, <laughs> um, has it always been mm-hmm. these? Uh, all except one. One I played bass in. Surprise, we're bass friends. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what so, band was that? Um, so it was a band called Solarius, and sadly, really sadly, um, it never got to the point of playing shows. Um, and it was probably... Oh, probably like close to 10 years ago now. I feel like, again, it wasn't that long ago. Now that I'm thinking about it, it was a while ago. Um, But so basically it was the brainchild of um, a dear friend of mine called Nick. Um, Now I'm going to try not to get emotional because I'll just, he sadly passed away last year. Um, But anyway, he was someone who was 
And I think that we all know one of these people. They're amazingly talented. They just don't work that well with other people. And um, they're also probably not that great in a live situation, but they write amazing music. So if they were just like, I feel like if he had have existed 10 years later and could have been like the Plinies of now where like, I mean, I know Pliny plays live now, but you know how there's so many artists that are just, they just exist in a digital space and they've got fans online and people buy their music, but they don't play live. Like that would have been his perfect sort of um, place to be. But anyway, he um, wrote all the music and sort of, I think struggled to get a band together because he was quite introverted. He didn't really socialize all that much. And I happened to know some other people that he knew and we became friends and um, he asked me if I'd be in his band and play the bass and um, do clean vocals because I had a screaming singer as well. And um, I loved that band. Like the music in that was really great. It was like um, kind of proggy, but really melodic death metal yeah, it was really cool, but uh, yeah, that was that was a good time. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't even know that. Did they? Was there any music recorded? Or I mean, you mentioned that you didn't get to like actually play live, but was there anything recorded? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got all the demos. Like we never got to the point where we did like a um, studio professional recording, but we did lots of bedroom recordings, and I've still got a few of them actually. Yeah. Well. Well. Happy to share them with you if you'd like. Yeah, it'd be cool, it'd be cool to hear. Um, I mean, yeah. yeah, it would be something that um, I'm sure just given the sensitivity of it all, but, um, you know, I mean, it would be awesome if um, if other people hear it or hear a version of it one day down the track, if other people are able to pick up the music and, and give it a give it a second lease of life or, or whatnot in, in tribute or something like that. But, um, yeah, it's it's... It sucks that um, some stuff just never sees the light of day, and especially when people yeah. put so much into it, and and for varying reasons, and not even extreme reasons, but people just don't have whatever that final bit is to get over the line and put it out there, and it might be a fear of just being judged and that vulnerable feeling of being out there. And so for a lot oh, of people, yeah, it just sure. it just stays on their computer, or it stays on a tape, or it stays wherever or in their head, and they never get it out there, and it's just... Um, it, it sucks that um, that people sort of get pushed back by that, and then obviously there's more more extreme examples, of course, of why things don't don't happen. But um, yeah, I'd be very keen to hear hear some stuff and just hear what I'm trying to imagine what it uh, what it all sounds like. Yeah, no worries. I'll I'll uh, share you in on that for sure. Yeah, he's definitely one of the, he was definitely one of those people that um you know has endless recordings even the stuff because he kept writing after we decided that we weren't doing that and he has endless stuff and every now and again he'd show me something like what do you think of this by the time I could reply like after having listened to it and get back he'd already have like told me actually no that shit I've deleted it I'm like (laughs) why I've just listened to it and it's amazing and he's like no no it's shit for all these reasons I'm like oh okay you need It's, it's almost sad that he didn't have people around in a band situation that could tell him how good it is all the time, even though he probably wouldn't have listened, he might've just gotten a little bit more confidence in it. Yeah. Maybe that's all it was. Maybe he just lacked confidence in himself, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people like that. And even now, like 
as you mentioned, like if, if time was different and, and people were put in a, into a different situation with the technology that, that people have now and the ease of putting stuff online, Bandcamp and, and Big Cartel and all this, where people can just listen to music online and you don't even have to tour anymore. You can still be an artist and have people that are, that appreciate what you do. And, but even now with, with all these options, people are still frazzled and reluctant to do anything because there's, there's a different version of being vulnerable now it's it's a case of people hearing it and it doesn't even matter whether you're in front of people in a in a live venue or not so it's mm. um i think there's always going to be challenges no matter how how easy or how how many opportunities there are it's just it's just human nature for some people yeah that's it i'm one of those people like it's one of my goals that i've never achieved is i've always wanted to do a solo record of just weird shit that's in my brain <laughs> but at the same time and I'm guessing it's just for fear of you know especially these days being completely mauled online about it if I was because like I'd never do it as a band I just in my mind I'm like I'll just record all this stuff and then I'll just put it up on Bandcamp or something yeah. but there's two things that stop me doing it one is like I'm like my, my own biggest critic so I what I just talked about with Nick and saying, you know, I wish someone told him all this stuff because it was all great and he always delivered it. It was really annoying. I don't know if mine's great, but I can say that I definitely do that thing where I record stuff. I listen to it and I go, no, that was shit, and I delete it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so maybe it's the lacking confidence and whatever. But then it's also that fear of like, oh, it's, you know, you're very vulnerable and it's just you and you put it out there and it's only you to blame if it's shit. <laughs> Well, yeah, especially like classifying yourself as like you, like it's not a group. You're not part of a group of a collective of people where you've got a name that represents the group of people. It's like just you. And so then you'll get, yeah. you'll get the naysayers out there. They'll go, oh, look, egomaniac, uh, you know, having a solo solo album, who's this person? And um, and there's just I, there's that extra element of, of that vulnerability out there where you're just you, – you're – I shouldn't say it, but it's almost like you're not asked to be to be judged, but it's just it's that tall poppy syndrome. It's just someone takes the risk of putting but their that, head above the rest, and, and yeah. it's just so natural for so many people to cut them down, and it, it's not right, but um, but it just happens so often. Oh, it's just the nature of the internet. <laughs> That's right, trolls. <laughs> it, it doesn't even need to be music. It could be you put a photo up, and people are like, what, why'd you put that up? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> it's a... Uh, scary judgmental world i'm so glad that facebook didn't exist when i was 14 i can tell you that much oh yeah i won't i won't go down that that rabbit hole but um i agree oh no I don't go there I, we could go there forever yeah yeah i i think um i had a hard enough time going through school as it was without the internet i think um i think if i had that at 13 14 years of age i think oh, i would i'd be a completely different person i think and i don't know if it'd be better no i absolutely um, I'm on the same boat as you. It was hard enough being a teenager and, yeah, the added pressures that kids must have these days, it's just ridiculous to even think about it. It kind of makes me anxious thinking about it because it's like I'm not a parent but my friends are parents and stuff and I think they must think about this stuff and think, you know, when my kids come at that age, like, what's it going to be like then? It's going to be even worse when they get to being teenagers and stuff. Anyway. Long rabbit hole. Let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> I was already thinking of like four or five things straight off the bat. I'm like, oh, I could, I could say that. No, I'll leave it. Oh, there. no, we can go there. No, no. Oh, maybe later. No, that's okay. I've got other things <laughs> I want to talk to you about. Probably a more um, more interesting for people that are listening to us ramble on. But um, yeah. 
Uh, okay, actually, I'll, I'll ask really quickly because you brought it up and I didn't know about it. So this idea that you've been sitting on and you haven't followed through with it, you're not sure if you will, but this solo mm. idea, what, mm. have, you got, have you got songs? Well, I had songs. Yeah. I deleted them. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of changes, I guess, as I age. Yeah. I, I, as I age and I guess what I'm listening to at the time and what's inspiring me at the time it kind of changes what I want to do at, at the current present point. Like I think I'd like to just do, and just on a side note, when I say solo project, I don't want to be like David Coverdale doing a side project away from white snake, not that kind of a side project, yeah, yeah. but like just a one man band behind the, behind the name. It wouldn't be like the Sarah Lim project, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, just put something. I think it'd be, very ambient, dark, and atmospherical. Um, but, yeah, I just don't know in what... I think there'd obviously be a lot of keyboards, but probably a lot of guitar and stuff, but there's things that I don't excel at, like programming drums. It's never been my thing. Mm. But, you know, there's always a time to learn, but that's the sort of, you know, where in my mind it would be at now. And, you know, I have lots of ideas and like little bits and pieces that when I'm tinkering around on my guitar that I always go and play, but I haven't put together full songs for a while because I'm just, I, I, well, actually in the last 12 months, I just haven't had time to do anything that would just be focusing on my own music, but that's kind of where all my ideas are at at the moment. But, you know, it's ever morphing. When I first thought of it, you know, probably when I was about 20, I wanted to do an acoustic album. So, you know, who, who freaking knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the cool thing with the, with the net now and things like Bandcamp and all these platforms that you can distribute music and sell music is that you don't even have to release an album anymore. You can just release a single song and then yeah. and then, you re- then you might release like a, a two-track single or yeah. EP or a five-song thing or you could do a full-length album. It just doesn't matter. Like, there's no rules anymore to, to how you put stuff out there. So you can almost take the pressure off because in the past you'd think, oh, I'm going to have to at least have, you know, five or six songs at bare minimum yeah. to get away with an EP or you know, mm. a full-length album of eight to ten songs or whatever. But now you don't even need to do that. You can just work on one song, make that shit hot, as much as you think that shit hot and then put it out and, and then wait six months and then yeah, okay. yeah, and then and then try it again. And then you can, you know, as if your tastes change with the wind and mine certainly do, you could go from like this dark ambient thing to an acoustic thing or whatever it is and get away with it. And um, I guess that's, that's the cool thing about it. Yeah, well, that's it. And I think that's what's really been sparking my interest in it more in recent times because I haven't been doing a lot with, like this is the quietest I've ever been in terms of my music side of life. So I was like, I have more time. And granted, I've actually been filling that time with new interests. But I was like, you know, maybe I should put some time into just doing that goal that I've always had and never really given that much time or opportunity to. It seems like now is a good time to do it. So, yeah, I really should just you know, take a leap of faith and even just get that one song done and put it up. Well, it's it's on public record now, so you've got to you got to follow through with it. You have to give it a give it a stab. Yeah. <laughs> um, Maybe it'll just be one minute of me saying, 
sample it. That's right. Sample it. Sample it and then put it on the yeah. lookouts, yeah. No, yeah. And that'll probably be like this viral song that'll just go nuts on, on, uh, online. So you never know. You probably minimal effort and you'll get the most results. Sick. <laughs> um, one last music-related question because I'm going to – and you partially alluded to um, other – other interests and i'm going to get to that in a moment because i'm extremely curious but uh is electric dynamite the first band that you were playing guitar in as opposed to just keyboards yes that was actually and it but it's not the first time i thought about it it was more it was the first band where i floated the idea knowing that it might be mildly acceptable to float the idea oh, right. <laughs> so um you know, I hate being uh, sort of stuck behind the keyboard. Mm. Um, and, you know, I've never let it stop me. Like, I love a good windmill and get right in there with the head banging and whatever else. Um, but, you know, having that freedom to be able to actually move around and actually interact with the other band members is, like, the most fun on stage. Um, so, you know, it's always something that I've thought about because... Uh, I think it also kind of has come from an underlying wish that I was actually the guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so in my mind, it's like maybe I can sort of pretend that I'm a guitar player by having a guitar. Um, so, yeah, it's something that I always thought about. But I thought once I started playing in Dynamite, it was almost instantaneous. And it's really funny because I've actually got the first two guitars that I had and they are hilarious because they look like toys <laughs> and they're tiny. They're so small. And um, it was one of those things, though, when I thought about doing it and I floated it with the guys, they were like, yeah, of course you'll get a key car. And I was like, sweet. <laughs> and But no one was making them at the yeah. time. So you could only get old ones from the 80s or like there were some from the 90s, like some Roland ones, mm. um, but they were only MIDI controllers and – um, I didn't know if I could be bothered like trying to run a laptop or some kind of synth module or something like that kind of hardware in a live situation at the time. I was like, this just seems too difficult. And, you know, I've never been a big gearhead. I'm kind of a plug in and go kind of girl. Yeah. Um, so I was like, yeah, this all seems too complex. So I'm just going to try and find key cards that have some, you know, inbuilt sounds and stuff. So, um, and also at the time when I joined Dynamite, I wasn't super old and I didn't have a lot of cash. So I wasn't going to be able to go chuck a thousand dollars down or two grand on a retro, you know, guitar. So yeah, I got these Yamaha ones and it started from there. But I look back at the early electric Dynamite live photos and I just think, how did anyone take me seriously? <laughs> little, it's okay because I had toy. heaps of hair and just hit it with the windmill. Yeah, that's right. I, I, uh, compensating in other areas. Yeah. <laughs> Can you remember the first first uh, show that you did with the guitar? Mm, yes. I can remember my first electric dynamite show and I'm pretty sure I had it then. Yeah. I mean... It was at Revolver and... Um, I was really nervous because Electric Dynamite had actually had one keyboard player before me and um, his name was Joey and he was at the time the keyboard player of House vs. Hurricane ah. and they blew up around the same time as all this so obviously he had to quit Electric Dynamite. And um, But he, I think he did one show with them um, so I 
did the second show ever of Electric Dynamite and that was my first show and he was there so I was really nervous uh, because uh, I was thinking, uh, he's, he's watching you. everything I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> it looks the, but, yeah, yeah, sorry, go. No, no, that's all good. Oh, no, I was just going to say, um, I mean, I would just think that for years if you're playing behind you know, a keyboard and a keyboard stand and then suddenly going out in front with everybody else and having this guitar, there'd be like this this dramatic change of, I, I don't know, like nerves and vulnerability of just being out there, not being able to hide behind. I mean, you're still hiding behind a, the guitar to a degree, although what you just said, there were these tiny little things. But, um, you know, was do you remember like just that change of just being... I guess, taken off the leash, <laughs> being able to go out the front? Well, it's funny because, so, Dwayne's always said that part of when, like, part of, I guess, in his mind, what his mental criteria was when they were picking, at the very start, members to be in Electric Dynamite, he wanted everyone to be show ponies. <laughs> so, he didn't want any of the band members in bands that just kind of stand around and do nothing. So, he kind of cherry-picked the show pony of every band made a band out of all show ponies. Um, so I think I already was a show pony before I had that. And then it just made it worse. It's really weird because I'm a really reserved person. I'm a really like nervous person. I'm after all these years of playing, I still get nervous before every show we play. I, I, I see it as a sign of doing something right. I obviously still care about every performance and all that sort of stuff. So I think it's a good thing. But it sucks because I hate feeling nervous and anxious. It sucks. But um, I still am like this really, you know, quite reserved, anxious kind of whatever. But as soon as the first note happens on stage, it's like heckle and jide. Like the other one comes out and it's like, I don't care. I'll do whatever. And I do all these things that I would, yeah, never just do randomly. But it's like I just have this stage persona that just flies out when the first note happens. (laughs) So... Yeah, the guitar was just an extension of that. So I guess I just gave me more freedom to do even more of that. But um, I was already a show pony, I, I think, before that. <laughs> You're already getting headhunted because of your um, extrovert ways on stage. Yeah. <laughs> is there is there pros and cons to playing guitar over just you know a normal keyboard or vice versa? Yeah, I think it's a bit more limiting. If you're a show pony, yeah. um, it's, <laughs> I think if you were cool just to stand and like play more technical things, um, then that's fine. And I definitely could do that. But what I generally tend to do is, you know, when we're recording, I record lots of different layers and l- little different bits and stuff. And then I kind of relearn how to play it in a live situation where I can actually have fun. Yeah. Um, which I guess is cool. Because it's cool that I'm able to do that because, you know, not everyone can. And we've, like, never been that kind of band that wants to play with a click track and backing tracks to fill in all the other bits. So we just do it so that we make sure um, that we don't go too overboard in the recording process but um, can adapt it to a live situation without it sounding too empty. But um, it does... I, I yeah, it does limit you to some degree if you want to be able to just you know throw your guitar around and not really pay too much attention to what you're doing. But that could just be because I'm not that great at keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
but that being said, like I play in the night terrors, I don't play any guitar, but I play multiple synthesizers, and you know the the technical level of what I play in the night terrors is probably a lot higher, and that's just simply because it's a keyboard driven band. Like it's all synthesizers. There's no guitars. Um, there is a bass, um, but you know the main feature of the band is all the keyboards. So yeah, it's I guess for me. Um, I'm only limited by my own mind and my choice to be a show pony. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, okay, so I'm going to shift a little bit. Um, I didn't realise because I don't pay attention to what anybody else does. I'm so self-absorbed. But I didn't realise until not too long ago, long ago I should say, that um, you're heavy into martial arts. Yeah. Has that Love been, it. How long has that been going for? So, um, maybe a couple of years now. So it was a weird, weird segue in life. I'd sort of visited martial arts when I was a kid. Uh, my dad actually taught martial arts for a while. Um, and so, you know, obviously I dabbled in it a little bit, but it didn't really interest me as a kid. And then, you know, the whole idea of fighting in general, like physical fighting was not really up my alley. And it, what it really came down to was I was on the hunt for something to do that was going to be physically good for my body, give me exercise, but that I didn't hate. <laughs> and it didn't seem like the biggest chore ever because, you know, I've been there and done the, you know, join the membership to a gym, yeah. like a normal gym, and like go religiously for like a month and then kind of taper back to only a couple of times a month and then just end up paying this membership that I don't use I'd been there and done that and I'd tried other things didn't really like it and so I was just in this space of you know what is it that I'm going to do and I was thinking about doing yoga and stuff like that but I just wasn't sure and um Dwayne was like why don't you come and watch a jiu-jitsu class at my gym and I was like sure had no interest in it didn't even really understand what jiu-jitsu was um didn't understand that it was like grappling on the floor, like no striking at all. I thought there was probably some level of striking. I, I, I must have maybe thought it was more like judo or something. I'm not really sure what I thought it was, but it wasn't what my understanding is now. And I went and watched it and I thought, that's really full on. Not sure if it's for me. So I just watched a class. I think I watched maybe two classes and then he's like, just give it a go. You know, I'm here. I'll do the classes with you. I was like, sure. So gave it a go and really quickly realized that my competitive side came out really quickly and that I was <laughs> learning some stuff that just basic things that really made me think about um, even just my own safety. Like mm. the teacher was sort of when you start at our school, they'll have this guy that we called the Godfather because he's like a black belt. He's like the oldest black belt there and he's like real old school and he kind of pulls you to the side and you do a couple of like fundamental classes with him. And he's a really funny guy, but he's so knowledgeable and he's really good at jiu-jitsu. And um, he goes through some scenarios, but he really, he's one of those people that really relates it to real life situations. So mm. he's like, you know, if you're in a fight and you end up on the ground, which is where it usually ends up if you don't know how to fight, um, you know, this is what can happen. Um, and then because I'm a girl and he often sort of talks about this with women, you know, if a man attacks you, 
you know, they're obviously going to try and get you to the ground if they're going to try and sexually assault you. Um, and it really made me think, and it was just something that I'd never realized. I was like, I actually have no idea what I do. Like, aside from the usual things of scream, you know, people say try and kick them in the balls or poke them in the eye, like those kinds of things that you're always told. But I was like, I don't actually know how to use my body to defend myself. And so it was a combination of going in there wanting to get some kind of exercise and not hate it. And a second thing of having that realization really early of visiting there that, you know, this is probably just good to know. Um, I'll just stick at it. And then after doing a few classes and even just learning a few fundamentals and then working and then getting a little bit competitive, I was like, wow, I really like this. And then, yeah, it kind of just snowballed from there, I guess. <laughs> so I don't know how the belts work, but what, what belt are you at the moment? I am a white belt. So white belt still like, so the system goes white, blue, purple, brown, and black. And then um, not every school does this. I think most schools do this. Not all of them do, but there's like a stripe system between it. So you earn like four stripes before you can be eligible to grade for your next belt. And I think even the schools that don't do stripe specifically like they just wait till you're at that level to grade you yeah okay it's um but um it's fascinating like it's just i i think um you you touched on a couple of things which are exactly the the things that i think of when anybody talks about any form of like martial arts or any sort of contact uh sport or anything as such where I just think, oh man, I just don't want to get punched in the face. Like I, I really don't want to get, I've, I've been hit in the face, not a lot of times in my life, but enough where I just don't want that feeling to ever happen again. It's just, and, yeah. and so when anyone talks about, um, you know, doing things like boxing or martial arts or anything that's such, I just go, oh man, like I just, I get nervous just thinking about it. And so when, when I see friends like doing it, I just go, oh, you're, you're better than I am. Cause I just, I couldn't even imagine walking into a gym and watching it happen, let alone participating in it. I just, I'd be so fearful of being struck and just having that feeling. I'm such a wuss. I feel like I'm such a wuss even saying it. But, um, <laughs> but when you said that before about not understanding what jujitsu was and going in there, um, yeah, I, yeah. Could, I could definitely relate to, to those feelings. Yeah, and I mean, it's, um, I even look back on it now and I think, and I, I say this to every new person that, you know, because we always have new people coming through the door and you have a chat to them when they come in and, um, you know, you talk about why they're there and all that sort of stuff, but they'll be very overwhelmed because um, jiu-jitsu is quite different or in my experience, I can only talk about mine, but from what I understand and in my own experience, it's quite different to how other martial arts work. So like when I did, like, uh, I think I did karate. It was so long ago now, I can't remember if it was Kung Fu or karate, but I did one of those things. And you do um, kata. So like they yeah. teach you, you know, a choreographed thing of all these steps in a row. And then, you know, when you do gradings, you basically do your kata and you have to do all the technique perfectly and all that sort of stuff. You know, there was sparring, but as far as sparring goes, it's, when I compare it now to what like our every class is like, it wasn't as full on. And when I think about, could I have applied that stuff in real life if I had to, like I would have, and I would have known more if I didn't know that martial arts at the time, but I think I would have hurt myself (laughs) trying to like fight someone in that way. Um, 
but yeah, it's very different. And like getting your belt is um, like each belt takes way longer. So I think if you went, say, and started Taekwondo and you did your classes, like you religiously went like a couple of times a week and you were really committed to it. I think you can get a black belt in like five years or something. But the average to get a black belt in jiu-jitsu is at least 10 years. Wow. So it takes a lot longer to get to a black belt. And even if you talk to a black belt, um, they'll always say you never stop learning. So Mm. you don't just get your black belt and then you're a master. You always keep learning. But I always say to the new people, like, I feel like even though it's, you know, challenges and you have your ups and downs with jiu-jitsu, it's, it's a crazy journey that you go through with it. I can tell you that much. And it's not just a physical journey, it's a mental one because sometimes you think, what the hell am I doing here? But um, <laughs> it's, uh, I think one of the biggest hurdles is walking through that door in the first place and then coming back after the first lesson. And then once you get past that, like that's courageous in itself. And I think about it, especially being a woman, um, the nature of jiu-jitsu, it's, you know, it's grappling, it's full contact, men on top of you, women on top of you. It's something that, you know, without, you know, using too many gender stereotypes, it's, it's an uncomfortable situation for anyone regardless of what sex you're in. Yeah. Uh, sorry, that sex you are. But, you know, particularly, I guess, stereotypically for women, it's it's an uncomfortable situation, especially with all different kinds of men and sizes of men and all that kind of stuff it's quite intimidating place to walk into. <laughs> so if you can get past that first thing, like that's courageous in itself. And that's one of the biggest hurdles, I believe. And if you can get past that bit, then you're good to go. Oh, I just, I, I'm just like flashbacks to my childhood and even in my teenage years, walking into places like that. I'm like checking out to see whether I'll participate in like some form of group activity and then mm. watching and then leaving and just never coming back. <laughs> I've done that so many times <laughs> over the years. And you're right. Like, if you can come back after that first time, I think that's that's like three quarters of the battle done. Like, that's that's one of the hardest things to do. And and I'm just thinking of those feelings that I had when, when I was younger, just going into an environment. It's almost like it's sort of like an extreme version of starting school. You walk into like this area and you're trying to work out who's who. You're trying to find someone to talk to. So you're not just standing there like a Nigel with no friends. And then (laughs) on top of that, not understanding anything and knowing that you've got no skill whatsoever to just jump in and just be a part of it. And then to come back the next time and kick off where you left off on the first occasion where you had all these feelings and most people just never come back, including me. So yeah. Wow. That's, um, it's it's full on, and especially for something that's that the perception is very extreme, like being jujitsu or being any form of martial arts. It's just the contact yeah. element of it. I think that what really helps is, I think this is true from what I understand of most martial arts um, kind of schools, but I can definitely speak for the jujitsu community, and not just within my school, but just that community itself, like Australia wide and probably worldwide it's got such an amazing sense of community. And it, it, when you join a gym, it's really like you end up having this weird extended family because everyone is there to look after you. Like everyone respects each other. And, you know, if you're ever in a situation where you perhaps are training with a partner that's not respectful of you, you know, all you have to do is speak to someone about it, whether it be the person directly or, you tell your head coach about it and they'll talk to the person and it's, it's a really supportive environment. 
everyone's there to help you. And even when you are feeling really overwhelmed, like there's been times where I've been on the mat, had a really bad role, feeling like I'm getting nowhere. Because you do with jiu-jitsu, like sometimes you have like these little peaks where you feel like you've just learned all this stuff and you're doing really good and then it kind of plateaus or like you like almost sometimes feel like you're going backwards and then you get really disheartened and you're like, should I just quit? Like, am I shit at this? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and like there's been times where I've been on the mat and like I've left the class and I've gone into my car and like like actually cried because I'm like, what what am I doing? Like this is this is not for me, whatever. And then just, you know, a simple thing like just sending a text message to one of the people at the gym saying, you know, I just had a really rough night tonight, blah, blah, blah. And they'll write back and be like, it's okay. And then they'll just console you and talk to you about their journey. I'll say, I'm making it sound like a cult now. It's not. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> actually, it's funny. When I started jujitsu, um, like my best friend, I must've been talking about jujitsu all the time. because I was so excited about it. And then at one point she was like, have you joined a cult? Because <laughs> it's all you talk about now. And <laughs> I was like, no, it's not a cult. It's just that it's just so such a great experience and so different. And I'm just really excited about it. That's all. But yeah, it's, it's just such a great sense of community. And that's, yeah, something that's a really um, nice part about jujitsu and uh, something that really draws me to it. It's like, you know, you watch people literally trying to kill each other <laughs> on the thing. And then at the end of the role, when the buzzer goes, you know, they shake hands, they thank each other. It's really respectful and it's just really nice. <laughs> you probably like just, I'm having a guess here, but as you said before, like the length of time that it takes to get to a black belt versus mm. other other martial arts out there, uh, the reliance on everybody sort of working together and approaching it in, you know, I'm just trying to think of a good word, but in a good way, um, yeah, know, it, it probably helps people learn more because you know people aren't wasting people's time by being inappropriate or being you know doing things the wrong way everyone's being very disciplined and trying to do the right thing by each other so if everybody's doing that then everybody gets better and because it's such a long journey there's probably so much more emphasis on on that and i guess i'm just having another guess here but people that are doing jiu-jitsu are probably a bit more patient because they understand how long the process is. They're probably enjoying the journey along the way far more than somebody who's in it to get quickly get their black belt within a, a few years or you know, a couple of years yeah. or it might be. Whereas you, know, you understand that if, if it's going to take a decade, you may as well enjoy the, the process along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, we always sort of, um, you know, loosely talk about, but, and, you know, every now and again, your coach will sort of address everyone and talk to everyone about the journey, as we all call it. But that's the thing. Like, there's, whilst that's kind of the average, there's no, you have to get it in this time. And if you don't get it in this time, it means you're bad at it. It's just like life happens, especially if it takes that long to get one. Like, you know, people have kids or people move away for a bit or people have other priorities in their life that come up. And, you know, our coach always says, the mat will always be here and sometimes it can't be your number one priority and that's fine. It doesn't matter. And when you come back, it doesn't matter if it takes you 10 years or 25 years to get your black belt. It, it literally doesn't matter. It, everyone's journey is different and it makes no difference on how quick you get it because it's not what it's about. It's not a race and, and if you're doing a jiu-jitsu to just get a black belt, like it's probably not the reason to do it. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, 
you learn so much. You know, I've learned so much, I think, not just in terms of a skill, but I feel like I've learned patience and just about myself and, like, really challenged myself mentally and physically. Um, it's, you know, when I describe it to people, I kind of say, you know, it's sometimes I feel like it's the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's also been so rewarding and I've made, like, you know, great friends from it and, yeah, it's just it's just been a really positive thing. And I think it came at a time in my life when I needed it. Mm. You know how oddly sometimes that happens in life. You You feel like... Maybe at the time, if you had have asked me if I needed something in my life, I probably wouldn't have said that I did. But now, look, looking back at it retrospectively, I can go, you know what? That came at a time in my life where I really needed a positive influence and change in my life. Mm. And, yeah, it just happened to be that. And I'm sure it's a different thing for all kinds of people. But, yeah. I think the big thing is probably just something that's – put you through a bit of adversity, something that's a bit of a challenge and something that's had to stretch you, not just physically, but mentally. And, you know, as you said, like all these additional things that you've learned just from doing the physical activity of it all. And that can sort of blends into or seeps into sort of everyday life of just, you know, whether it be disciplined or, you know, appreciating certain things or being able to handle other situations because you've you you put yourself through this regular, you know, challenge, physical and mental challenge all the time that other things in life no doubt probably feel a lot easier to deal with and tackle um, when you're yeah. when you've got these other experiences that you're you're regularly uh, dabbling in. For sure, that's exactly it. It's cool. I, I I think that's one thing that I always hear people talking about. I go, uh, I like the I like the concept of it. I like the idea of what like I love the theory of the of of it where you can get something out of it. Like I, I love the rationale, but the physical aspect just totally scares the shit out of me. So I don't know. And I, I always freak out. And this is a really stupid thing, but I'll, I'll say it anyway. Whenever I like <laughs> grow, growing up, you know, those eighties movies and the Americans like love wrestling. And it's, yeah. like, and I, I just, I still can't grasp that at all. Like, I just don't understand yeah. it. I don't even understand how that's a thing and why people get so excited about it. But anyway, um, I don't, but, I don't get it either. Yeah, and, but it's like it's in all of these '80s movies. Like there always there's some sort of challenge or whatever in high school, and then there's the wrestling team, and it's like the wrestling team. Like what, what is that? Like, what but I always look at yeah. the, these shots in these movies, or or seeing some some actual real footage, and like people like you know wrestling or grappling each other, and I just think oh, man, like, these people probably stink. And then I say, oh, their balls got in your face or you got to cop someone's, like, <laughs> armpit or anything like that. And so the combination of that really sort of um, irrational way of thinking blended in with I don't want to get hit in the face has just totally avoided me from dabbling into anything that's uh, <laughs> mildly physical. So, um, Well, if you don't like getting hit in the face, Jiu-jitsu, out of all of them, is probably the best one because there's zero striking. You're not allowed to strike. Yeah. That said, sometimes you accidentally cop a body part to the face, but it's, you know, it's not intentional. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's um, definitely puts you outside of your comfort zone because there's no part of the body, basically, that doesn't have contact or potential for attack or whatever and i have to be honest with you it scares the shit out of me still Mm. like i I don't want to come home with a broken arm or broken whatever but that's part of i guess 
learning to trust and have, you know, treat people within your gym with respect and you be, I I guess, you be the training partner to people that you want to be to you. And, um, you know, it's it's quite amazing because everyone has to work on a level of trust that you're not going to go and break someone's arm or you're not going to go and, you know, tear their ACL or, you know, do some serious damage that might require surgery or something like that. It's, um, you know, I find it hard. I mean, not me. Many people find it hard to trust people in normal kind of situations, let alone ones where you can actually get physically injured. So that in itself could probably be a hard barrier to get over. But I think that's why the community side of it is so important. Um, And it's so important to feel like everyone actually has genuine connections within the gym and actually has genuine respect for everyone that's in there. Because I think in a lot of things, not just martial arts, there's a lot of talk about that, but the actual you know, doing of that doesn't necessarily always come through. But that's something that I've seen in jiu-jitsu is like, yeah, there's so much respect. And and then if there's an instance where there's not, it's called out very quickly. Mm. I guess it's, it's so much more heightened because there's such a fine line between doing the wrong thing and inflicting some form of injury on somebody else. So it's just, it's so much more important to really sort of put a focus on that and ensure that people are on the same page and as you said like respecting each other and understanding what what everyone's capable of and being able to show restraint and and discipline in in those what would be probably really intense situations because no doubt you'd be at times like you'd be battling like that autopilot part of yourself where you get hit or you get some form of contact and then there'd be like this, I don't know, this monkey mind sort of thing kick in where you want to do something that's just totally inappropriate, but you've got to, yeah. you've got to try and stay focused to do the right sort of, I don't know, whatever move or technique to, to, to combat whatever that force is. I reckon it'd be so, so difficult, such a mental mind game. Yeah, there's a um, saying in jiu-jitsu circles that you leave your ego at the door. Oh, that, and, that's hard. And it's... <laughs> It's hard. Uh, it is hard, especially when you're new to it. It's really hard when, you know, it's, a, yeah, like you said, it's like an autopilot kind of response. Like if you get hit, like something, like a flick, like a switch flicks inside you and you're like going to rage mode or something. Oh, yeah. And it happens. You see it. You see it, especially with newer belts. Like just to explain, I'm currently um, a three-stripe white belt, so I still need to get another stripe and then I'd be able to get a blue belt. And for me, it's taken me so long. Like, I mean, like we said, it takes everyone different sort of lengths of time, but I haven't consistently trained. That's my biggest problem is, Mm. you know, I've had other things happen in life which has taken me away from it, so then I have to come back and you kind of feel like, you feel like you're starting at square one. It comes back to you with a bit of revision, but like every time you come back, if you've had a couple of months away, you sort of, you know, feel like, oh shit, you know, I feel like I've forgotten everything and I'm not, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. But, um, so that's why, you know, I'm still sort of just tottering along at where I'm at right now. But when you see like really fresh people on the mat, you know, you can see when they get frustrated. And sometimes it's not just if, um, you know, they've accidentally had something happen to them, like someone might have hurt them slightly not intentionally but then you know they get angry about it or whatever there's some there are some things that happen which you know aren't great like for instance 
if I roll with a new um, a new white belt and they're a boy, sometimes, and I'm not saying this is everyone, <laughs> some dudes will get really shitty if you start beating them and you're a girl. <laughs> <laughs> And clearly they haven't left their ego at the door. And so if you start advancing positions, the thing about jiu-jitsu is it's it's not about strength. It's about leverage. So if you're doing the technique properly and you know how to, you know, do the technique and leverage your own body weight and use your body in the right way, then you should be able to do a lot of that technique regardless of how heavy or strong the person is. Mm. But, you know, at the end of the day, I have to say at some point if they're like just miles stronger than you or miles heavier than you, sometimes there's just nothing you can do. That's just, you know, how it is. But, mm. yeah, sometimes you'll be doing – you'll be doing your rolls. You'll be rolling with someone and you might advance positions. You're not like kicking their ass by any means, but you might, you know, be on top of them and pin them down in a way that they can't get up and you might be getting into a position where you can – maybe start to think about putting some submissions on them or maybe you do try to submit them, whatever, and you can see like this switch flick inside them and then <laughs> it's like they hulk out and then this strength comes from nowhere and they just start like, yeah, just wrestling with every inch of their body and you're like, whoa, relax, it's fine. Like, <laughs> just calm down. <laughs> I think that would be me, not not from not from a girl point of view of, of you know, the opposite sex uh, being uh, pinning me just down in or anything general. like that. Oh, yeah, just in general. I think just that that feeling of being in, a, in some form of position where you're restricted and you can't move mm. and that... that it, that empowering feeling over you, I think that would mm. be, I would totally have a, a switch flick and I would, and this is me I, highlighting the, the word attempt to rage. I wouldn't actually rage because <laughs> there's nothing, I've got nothing to, I've got no energy whatsoever, but I would, I would start to, you know, attempt to hulk out and probably, I probably just make a lot of noises rather than actually being um, <laughs> making any sort of physical, uh, dramatic physical changes or anything like that. I just probably just start like, I don't know, just cursing or just screaming out or something like that. But um, I, I definitely, I definitely can um, can understand that sort of that that flick of the switch when you're in that position, especially if you haven't been there for a long period of time and you're still very sort of you're holding on to that ego ego element to to yourself it's um that's something that i think i'd struggle with but um but maybe maybe that's why i probably need to do it but that's the thing about it i think it's all part of the learning process like there's this thing that everyone calls spazzy white belt or like spazzy white belt kind of syndrome (laughs) and that's like when you don't know what to do you're always going to rely on your strength and like put every ounce of energy that you've got into just trying to get into a better position, which in the end is going to just burn you out and you're not going to get anywhere. But that's just what you do. Like that's how we're all programmed. And that's part of, I I believe that's part of the fundamentals of being a white belt. It's not just about learning the technique. It's learning how to relax and take your time because that's the thing with jujitsu. Like even when you're rolling, like say you're in a competition, obviously there's the, the time limit, but outside of the time limit, there's no rush to get into a position. So a lot of it can be a slow grind to just, you know, really tire out that person because even holding positions can really tire out people because, you know, if you've got a whole body weight of someone on you and they're like slowly trying to get to an arm or a leg or an, or your neck or something like that, just defending yourself 
can be really tiring. And, you know, just learning how to pace yourself and be relaxed and not rush, I think that's a big challenge. And it's a big challenge because we're just not programmed that way. We're programmed that if someone's attacking you, like you just, ah, like, you know, <laughs> a big fucking mushroom cloud happens of shit that you're like, fuck, what am I doing? Ah. But yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's very much like, I don't know, like animals in the wild, like the ones that, you know, some predators will just wear out the prey to the point that they're just so exhausted and then they'll actually attack and then, and kill yeah. them. And, uh, yeah. you know, the ones that struggle so much are the ones that, you know, usually uh, end up uh, being being uh, left for dead. So it's... Um, That's the, it. And the ones that are a little bit more calculated and uh, are in it for the long the long game and can have the patience and the resilience just to, to keep at it, then um, they're the ones that, that tend to succeed. So it's... Um, there's some parallels there, I guess. When we're, I guess we're we're animals anyway ourselves. We're just um, programmed a little bit differently in some ways. We are all earthlings, Andy. <laughs> that's right. Well, I think that's a good way to end this uh, end this little conversation up. So, um, what's uh, what's happening for the rest of the year? It's only January, so uh, a little bit of uh, electric dynamite uh, recordings, hopefully, some Earth stuff. Yeah, so um, Night Terrors want to start jamming. Like, we started jamming towards the end of last year, but um, then our drummer, because he's in another band, he had to go on tour and stuff in Europe. So he's back, and we've had some downtime, and we, we're going to reconvene and start jamming, like, ASAP. I was just talking to Miles about it last night, I think it was, and we're... Yeah, our vision is to do an album this year, so um, we'll probably start jamming, you know, weekly, probably even maybe a couple of times a week and just really start getting that ball rolling and then work out where we were on to record it and all that sort of stuff. So that's probably what's on the horizon for that. Um, uh, my goal, like a personal goal for me this year is I'm working towards getting my blue belt because... I've had some inconsistent training in the last year in 2017. So this year I'm really committed to training at least a few times a week and like practicing at home because I've got some mats at home that my boyfriend sort of set up for us because he does jiu-jitsu as well. So, um, you know, really focused on getting that blue belt because it's just something that I've really just want to do. And, yeah, I've got some travel coming up and... I don't know. I kind of live by the edge of my seat. Like, I just kind of see what happens. I've just always been a bit like that. So I'm kind of excited to see what 2018 brings me. Maybe I should, like earlier in our conversation, I should maybe do a bit more of a focus towards maybe doing some of my own music. And um, I think I'm going to look to do some volunteer work um, because last year I was doing a course in alcohol and other drugs and mental health issues. Yeah. And, um, yeah, pretty keen to do some volunteer work in that area just to sort of solidify my learnings and sort of, you know, I have a fairly good idea of what kind of issues are out there, but, like, actually get it immersed in real-time sort of problems that people are having and see what's out there and see how I can help. Well, I think... Um I usually say this to a lot of people on the podcast to, to do a round two or a, a catch up to some stage down the track. But um, what you just said, then I could probably keep talking to you for the next hour or so just on that topic alone. That's um, I'm quite intrigued to to know what that's all about. But maybe maybe <laughs> once you've got out there and uh, had some some sort of face to face uh, real life experiences um, 
on the back of of what you what you've been doing um, might be some some good things to talk about. For sure. I'm so sorry. Like, I can literally talk the legs off a chair. I, I'd happily just sit here for hours and hours on end. That's just <laughs> who I am. And I, I just, I'm just thinking about it already going, did I even give you anything good? Because I tend to waffle, so I do apologize. <laughs> no, no. I'm I'm trying to rein myself in. That's like my 20, one of my 2018 goals is to try and rein myself in because I talk too much. So, which is funny considering, like, you know, I record these podcasts. So, um, I'm trying to be a little bit more efficient. So, that's okay. I, at least it leaves things on the table and we've got more to talk about next time. Sure. I'm keen. Keen <laughs> anytime you'll have me. Because awesome. like I said, love a good chat. <laughs> <laughs> a good chinwag. Yeah, yeah. All about it. Love a good chinwag. Awesome. Awesome. Well, cheers. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no dramas. Thanks, Sarah. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks, folks. If you want to reach out to Sarah, you can do so by going to andysocial.net and checking out the show notes for this episode. I've got links to everything that Sarah's involved with, notably Electric Dynamite, Earth, the Night Terrors, a bunch of photos, uh, video links, ways to support the bands, uh, and ways to reach out to Sarah and let her know what you thought of the podcast. So really, really cool. Um, and just a massive thank you again to Sarah for giving me some time. And i tell you what, I I am intrigued. I am intrigued a little bit with jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu, if I can even say it properly. Maybe I need to work on that first. We'll see what happens. Slow and steady. So thank you very much for tuning in once again. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, there's a few ways of doing so. Shout me a beer by going to andysocial.net. Click on the shout me a beer uh, link, and it'll take you to paypal.me where you can give me a couple of dollars or 50 cents or whatever the hell you feel like, and that will go towards my beer money so I don't waste my own personal money on beer, and that money can be funneled back into the podcast. you see how I roundabout way got to that? Yeah, yeah, perfect. Uh, Amazon Portal, um, also you can buy my merch. All those, all those things are over at andysocial.net, so you can get over there and support the podcast. Um, but sharing, tagging, everything uh, is greatly appreciated and definitely helps um, push this podcast forward. Um, lots of cool guests coming up. I've got some really good ones for you guys. So tune in. I don't know what I'm saying with this. I'm losing my train of thought, so let's wrap it up. All right, guys, take care, stay safe, and uh, see you next week. You're ready, you're ready.